This is Coto Radio, episode 305, for April 16th, 2018. Hey everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Me, my name is Chris, but what's more important is our host. He's perched, established, and ready to go over in the bayous of Florida. It's Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike! I want Szechuan sauce. I want that Mulan 1990s Clinton era Szechuan sauce. Have you tried it? Have you tried it? Yes, I have actually. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Well, this Mr. is going to be a good episode. Mr. Dominic, we had uh, a lot of follow up uh, to get into from last week, but we're going to kind of do something different with it. Instead of just reading emails, we're going to have it inspire uh, a couple of things in the show for the next couple of weeks, um, including we're going to do a little bit of historical deep dive into Big Blue this week, just to sort of set up another conversation we're going to have in a couple of weeks and the early dominance that IBM had uh, and the fight they had in the 80s. And, and, then, and then we'll get into a more modern hoopla. That involves your current workflow, but why don't we start out with uh, some emails that came into the show? Are you ready, good sir, for the feedback? I'm ready, like a dime store hooker. Okay, all right. I can't ask for more than that. So, uh, and somebody calls right on that dot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, the thing is, is I'd pay for you. I think you give you could be could be money well spent. I got to be honest, it'd be money well spent. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me. So we got an email that said, "Hey guys, keep an eye on Swift Playgrounds." Remember, you said that the canary in the coal mine. Or I, I said the canary in the coal mine for Apple switching to ARM processors would be when Xcode uh, starts coming out for the iOS platform. And uh, a couple of emails pointed this out, but I like this one. Uh, uh, he says, you know, look, this is where it's going to go. Swift Playgrounds is going to grow up into an Xcode replacement. It also means that Apple would create, uh, would have to create a layer much like art to make sure that people don't brick their iPads. Then Mike can finally preach the iPad Pro Bible once again. What do you think? iPad Pros with like a grown-up version of Swift Playground, sort of like Final Cut came out of iMovie? A couple I mean, people that is that. like a certain version of Lovecrafting. Yeah, a couple of people write that in. I, I don't know. It, I don't think that's the case. I, I could be wrong. I hope not. I mean, Playground should really stay focused. <laughs> well, it's not even that Playground should stay focused. It's, you know, the more dev I do, the more I realize I need all the toys. Right, like this is not a minimal minimalist paradise here. This is a bring me all the toys. Hmm. What do you, what do you I, mean by what do you mean by toys? Like you know what? Sometimes a Mac is the right tool. Sometimes a Linux system is the right tool, and sometimes a Windows Ten machine is the right tool. I can't, and the, and all three of those are like actually powerful systems. I can't imagine coding on an iPad and doing my day to day workflow on that without like being filled with a rage that could consume a thousand suns. Yeah, well, don't think of today's tools. Think of, you know, five, ten years of iteration where you've got, you know, different smart a keyboards now. Like, okay, what is an iPad when I hook it to a mechanical keyboard? Is it even still an iPad? Maybe not. I mean, maybe not. Yeah. So then we're now we're talking like a Surface, right? Which, yes, I think is a fine dev machine. So. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, moving Dude, on. I, do there? Yeah. 
Esteban says, go with your gut. Uh, he wrote in with a couple of emails, but I really like this point he made. He says, uh, forget about the nice songs and poems about following your heart. Your heart can and will mislead you, but your gut, your gut always feels right. Your gut's always right. I, I agree. Go with and here, here's your problem with the heart. My heart was with the language. You might be familiar with this, Chris. Um, I don't know if you know this. In 2014, something happened. There was this language called Objective-C. Here we go again. <laughs> yes. Here we go. And then my heart was carved out like I'm a deer on the side of the road. Rather swiftly, one might say. Oh. Bitter. That was good. So what I did there? Yeah. Oh, that was, next. That was pretty. Well done, Esteban. Your feedback is the best only because you set me up for another hit at Swift. <laughs> uh, we got uh, we also had a, a pretty good point um, on the subreddit. Uh, just really not. I, I don't know. If, maybe not pretty good point might not be the way to put it. But we got a feedback. <laughs> well, because it wasn't really a point. It was just an observation. Uh, on our episode last week, no bad guys, only survivors, Coda Radio 304. Uh, and um, ND writes, uh, it, it was a. It was a really valuable lesson for him. Uh, he says he went back and re-listened to certain chapters a couple of times, and he he really uh, felt like it was uh, a great reflection on how to how to sort of understand failure, learn from failure, um, which he's also been able to use as a contractor. So he says, I also uh, enjoyed your recent forays into being shocked that PowerShell is a thing. <laughs> He's talking about me there. Little, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that we went down to Microsoft and uh, talked to them and got that story. So he was covering a couple of bits here, but uh, um, <clears throat> he says, I really found it informative and useful specifically today because he has had to deal with the other end of empty promises of enterprise software salespeople for years now. Uh, and he says, crossing the chasm is definitely on his reading list. So it was great to be able to, so for somebody who's on the other side of the contract uh, ag agreement that, you know, we often like sort of proverbially talk about, it was super useful for him to hear insights into the other side of the uh, argument. So I thought that was pretty cool. And KTO yeah, wrote a lot, lot of people, a lot of people really liked that episode, which, uh, you know, yeah, you just, it makes me feel bad for all of you, really. You just have to burn things down from time to time and um, and replant a forest and then you share the like lessons my, learned. <laughs> thank you. You beat me to it. <laughs> you know, our, you know our cousin's Uncle Jay and, of course, Bane. <laughs> Very similar philosophy. Ah, uh, man. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've started watching this. Have you heard of Alex Inc.? I have not. It's not that, that great. It's not that great. But it's an ABC sitcom starring uh, What's-His-Face from Scrubs. Um, the main guy from Scrubs, and he's a he's a he's a mid thirties father who quits his full time gut job to launch a podcast network, and um, it's oh, does this does this hurt a little bit? It Chris? is <laughs> awkward. It's because I'm watching it with my with my kid, and I'm like, it, it, that that is kind of like what life is like. Um, and it's funny to watch something that you do because I know developers see this is I'm not even going to resonate with developers because this has been common with development for a long time. But the, nobody in the mainstream has really talked about podcasting for, for decades, yeah. for, well, for as long as it's been around a decade. And now all of a sudden there's a TV show about it. Pandora's launching podcasting support. It's really something to be sort of just sitting here watching all of a sudden this industry just. I don't know. Be Blossom. Really? Or, yeah. yeah. Like enter the next level of consumer um, awareness. You know, like it's reached another section well, of it's moved on from the early adopters. See, I never understood why podcasting. I mean, this has nothing to do with the topic of the show, but let's just go into it because I'm bored. Why podcasting isn't just treated as like an extension of AM radio. Like I used to love AM radio. I mean, before Imus was an asshole, I used to listen to Imus in the morning, right? Um, 
you know, when I lived in New Jersey when I was younger, there was a, you know, you, you remember, Chris, I mean, they, I'm sure they still exist. You have the local stations, right? You have like your, you know, Washington State Wheat Smokers 101.am. We had a 101.5 in New Jersey. Right? And you get like the local feel. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're, right. So why do I, uh, I'm obsessed with you being a drug addict, by the way. Yeah. You know me, I'm a huge <laughs> druggie. All these, uh, all these drugs I do. All these years. <laughs> uh, but, but why don't people see it as an extension of like talk radio? Seriously, because in my mind, that's exactly what it is. Like I'm wearing over the head headphones that are cushy and hot and my ears are literally on fire right now because I live in the goddamn jungle. And uh, I'm using a microphone that looks like a swollen penis. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah, a particularly it's, it's, phallic microphone you have. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, it's black. It's it's not good. Like, there's a lot wrong wrong with my setup. But <laughs> we've gone down a path. Anyway, why do you think podcasting is not treated just like an extension of AM radio? Well, because it's sort of a no rules medium, and it's such a varying degree of quality. It's a lot like software development in that in, in that regard. Uh, you know, like there's some great software developers and there's some horrible software developers. And I think uh, also just the uh, sort of homebrew nature of it. It's it's it, that's changing, though. I think that is going to change as now you've got all of these major radio networks that are releasing podcasts and maybe it will st- start to be seen as that. Well, I, I have to say, like the Wall Street Journal just recently did theirs and they've upped their game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so is the New York Times. It sucks in a way, but then at the same yeah. time, it just yeah. we got to up our game. You know, always got to be up on our game. Well, listen, put on the video stream, and I'll just take my shirt off. There That's we go. Boom, boom, boom. Yep, got it. that, yep, that, and mud wrestling. Those are the two top requests that come into the show. You know what? I've seen some great beards and some plump Linux developers. I would love to see Linux developer. I don't know, man. All that mud in those beards. That just, yeah, it just it's a nightmare ugh. for me. That just triggers me. Um, all right. Well, we do have a topic today to get into, and it's kind of an important one, so we shouldn't run people off because it's going to be setting up the next couple of weeks of shows. So before we dive in, let's do our first bit of duty and business and thank the fantastic folks over at DigitalOcean, do.co slash coder. Now, I mean, don't check here. I'm getting out the uh, prop piece of paper that I have. Uh, yes, verified with the, with the back office staff. There is no S on that do.co slash coder. You go there to sign up for DigitalOcean, simplicity at scale, and you'll get a $100 DigitalOcean credit. Did you hear that? $100 in DigitalOcean credit. It's a limited time offer, so I want you to take advantage of it while they're still giving it out. Do dot co slash coder digital ocean is incredibly fast infrastructure on demand you can get spun up in less than 55 seconds every single digital ocean droplet from the three cents an hour which is my favorite or even cheaper than that to the super expensive hundreds of gigabytes of ram massive xeon cpus everything in that entire lineup ssds all of it 40 gigabit connections into the hypervisors, all of it. Great, beautiful, easy-to-use dashboard on all of it, and a straightforward, well-documented, full-featured API that you can start programming against, take advantage of existing libraries, or open-source code that's been completely designed and built for you. DigitalOcean has predictable pricing, entire application stacks that are ready to go, and you can also deploy a base system if you like. You combine all of that with fantastic documentation and their new flexible droplets. For $15 a month, you can mix and match resources the most appropriate for your application. Or, I mentioned it, they have those really high-end Xeon CPUs for CPU-optimized droplets. If you have a really compute-intensive workload, 
Very, very useful for that. And then on top of that, for storage, they have spaces and object storage. Spaces is S3 compatible, and object storage just shows up as another device right on your rig. That's so sweet because it's great for backups. It's great for centralizing storage. It's great for adding new, just new disk if you have something that's growing on your existing droplet. And recently, they've adjusted their prices. So if you've been a DigitalOcean customer for a while, you can go upgrade your system for free. Pay exactly what you're paying now, and you just get more RAM, more disk, more CPU. do.co slash coder. Go to DigitalOcean, try it out with a $100 credit. do.co slash coder. All right, Mr. Dominic, you tweeted something that uh, it kind of stuck with me because you did this on the be- towards the beginning of the month, still thinking about it. You said, I've read this twice now, and I'm absolutely convinced that Microsoft is becoming the platonic ideal of IBM uh, that I mentioned a few weeks ago in Coda Radio. And then you include a link to uh, the resignation of uh, one of Microsoft's long-term engineers who, after 21 years, was leaving. And you said the platonic version of IBM. And when we were talking about Sun Microsystems on the show, we sort of got got a new appreciation for how important some of this backstory of the tech industry is to really kind of understand where it's going. And we danced around IBM a lot when we were talking about Sun. And then we danced around IBM a lot when we started talking about Microsoft again. So I thought maybe this would be the week we hit the pause button and we just do kind of a what I'm going to call a high-level deep dive, so the important bits about IBM that we need to know for the wider context of our future discussions, uh, with a little, like, just background history, and uh, and maybe even take a moment and go to sort of IBM's real peak over the PC industry in the early to mid-80s. Um, are you are you a complicit um, uh, uh, co-host in, all, in my uh, schemes here? Do you think this is uh, something worth doing? Listen, let's put on our black suits with white shirts and uh, let's make sure we have high socks. Let's go to IBM. Yeah. You know, uh, just to kind of give you, uh, we're going to talk about IBM's influence over tech, but uh, IBM really kind of had big influence over the way employment works in the U.S., I don't know if it's true, but they definitely, IBM says it's true, that they pioneered the 40-hour work week and uh, group health benefits in a company. Um, that's, that's a pretty big claim if that's true. And IBM technically got started in 1911 when they leased unit record equipment and were famous for creating punch cards. In fact, they really became the computing tabulating recording company, CTR, until an individual named Thomas J. Watson took over in 1924 and renamed them to International Business Machines or IBM. And so let's go back to sort of IBM's origins, a sort of a, a, a quick overview. This is a, a this is a quote, uh, or I'm sorry, a clip that I grabbed from a 1985's broadcast of the Computer Chronicles. Now, to take you up to speed in 1985, IBM had just recently wrapped up a potential um, monopoly lawsuit with the federal government. They were trying to push for a new uh, expansion card format. And uh, there's a lot of discussions about white label BIOS development. And so at this point in time, the Computer Chronicles goes back and looks at uh, IBM's origins. In many respects, the history of IBM is the history of computing. The parent company's founder, Herman Hollerith, devised the first practical card punch calculator. It was used for the first time to tabulate the 1890 American census. The IBM card soon became the symbol of the early computer age. 
IBM's first mainframe, the Mark I, ushered in the post-war era of data processing, for the most part restricted to scientific applications. But IBM's choice market was always business, especially big business. As advances in memory and storage took place, they were applied and promoted for business use. In this manner, the company developed an almost exclusive hold on the data processing departments of major corporations. By the 1960s, IBM was the leader, both technically and commercially, with over two-thirds of the mainframe market. Its pervasive customer support and computer families gave it a major advantage in almost every aspect of business computing. By 1966, the company began to look at the small business market and expanded overseas. Today, suddenly cleared of its history-making antitrust suit, IBM continues to expand its share of the market. And it does so in the same way it has in the past, secretively, cautiously, and with ruthless efficiency. They didn't really have a clear picture of how IBM was ever going to be supplanted. They were so dominant that here was an interview that took place right after that clip plays in the Computer Chronicle. And listen to the resignation in their voices. It's just a foregone conclusion. Norm, uh, IBM saw some opportunities here a few years ago and jumped right in and took the lion's share of the PC market. Uh, do you see any effective competition now? Or are we all going to be working uh, toward uh, being compatible with IBM? Well, Gary, in 1984, we saw IBM capture 26% of the worldwide PC market. And uh, we at DataQuest expect that that market share will continue to increase through our forecast period, which ends in 1989. I would certainly expect they would command 40 to 50% of the market by that point in time. <laughs> so, I mean, you really get an idea of how dominant IBM was in the PC market, which is a market they don't even play in anymore. They don't even bother anymore. Um, I think it's kind of remarkable that, that that transition where they go from, how yep. could anybody ever replace them? That was the IBM. They were so dominant, right? And now now they're more thought of, of like cloud services and uh, enterprise services and mainframes still. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's in a lot of ways where, Microsoft's, where Microsoft is in their world of the compute uh, little, little kingdom. Amazon's in their world of the compute kingdom. They own all of that. Like now we have lots of little IBMs, it feels like. Baby IBMs, mini IBMs, where they don't have unilateral influence, but they sure have a lot of influence in this section of the galaxy they own. What do you think? Is that uh, fair? I think it's fair, right? I mean, I think IBM really... It's interesting to think about how long they've been around, right? And how much has, uh, can we say, changed since they've been around? Mm -hmm. No, they're still around. Well, they're, they're, I mean, of course, they're still around. They're a big player in AI. And, but since uh, 1911, over 100 years ago, things have Right. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I like to think of IBM in terms of the ThinkPad um, mm. in, in their more recent history. Sure. And at some point, it became just not worth it for them to actually manufacture their own computers. Which is a little sad. It is, and it's really telling. So now, though, even despite that, uh, the the company's you know taking in about a hundred billion a year and has around four hundred and fifty thousand employees still. So they didn't go away, and I think that's maybe a key lesson that when we start talking about where Microsoft is going, they if you get to a certain dominance, I don't think you quite go away. Like Sun never reached that. They didn't. They never reached the level of influence that IBM or a Microsoft or a Google has. Whereas, you know, I think once you get to a certain scale, a certain size, unless you're acquired, you just never really go away. You still have a certain customer base you're going to serve for our lifetime, is what I suspect. 
Um, so when you say the platonic version of IBM, do you mean like a less hostile version, like a less like uh, over overusing of their influence? Because IBM was known for playing. Hockey. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 purest, the best idea of what IBM should have been, right? Uh, it, although I will say it's interesting that you mentioned Lucent because Lucent like died amid accounting scandals, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not the same thing. Um, I have a visual guide to the history of IBM linked in the show notes. If you go to coder.show slash 305, you will find that. And I also have the entire Computer Chronicles 1985 broadcast linked in there, which is a, which the whole episode is a profile of Big Blue, sort of during its me, it's uh, it's um peak PC industry influence, which is a fascinating time to take a snapshot and then to look back at it now. Um, yeah, so that's all in there. And uh, also a link to the New York Times when IBM dropped, or when the U.S. government dropped its antitrust suit against IBM, which uh, the federal government said they no longer dominate the computer business, but the rest of the industry didn't necessarily agree. And there was quite a bit of controversy about it back then. Um, and it's also interesting that, you know, we think of the Watson machine now, that big, huge, uh, you know, chest destroying um, IBM mainframe. Well, it's not just Sherlock Holmes's uh, right hand man. Uh, Thomas J. Watson ran the company when it was still called Computing Tableting Record Company to IBM. He ran it from 1874 to 1956, I think, or in I'm not sure exactly his time frame, but he ran it for. Or, yeah, anyways, he ran it for quite a while. As his name was Watson, so I th- some of these the Watson product we hear about now may actually. I guess, be a reference to him and not uh, the Sherlock Holmes reference that I always thought it was, which is kind of neat, just a little bit of history. And they've been around for so long. They've seen so much. And of course, they don't necessarily have the best history either. They sort of have a famous dark aspect to their history uh, when it came to those uh, punch machines. But uh, they're the, now, they're, now, are, now they're in the cloud. Now they're a business technology company and a cloud company. And Lotus is still around. I don't know what to make of any of it, Mr. Dominic. But I do know what to make of Linux Academy. Let's go to Linux Academy and then we'll get to the hoopla of this week. There's a great promo going on. This was, well, it's a it's a new release over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. They have 70 new courses, challenges, and learning activities coming out in the month of April. Linux Academy is a full-featured training library with everything you need to learn new skills and advance your career. linuxacademy.com slash coders. This one does have an S. There you can sign up for a free seven-day trial and try out the platform. Pick a time frame, set a course, and stick to it. They'll build learning goals and help you. Along the way, you can try out their hands-on lab that give you scenario-based learning. They have video courses on every self-paced, in-depth topic you might want to learn about. They have flashcards, which are forked by the community to help you study. They have learning paths, which are a series of courses and content planned by instructors for specific career tracks. And if you want to get certifications, they've got courses created specifically to prepare you for those as well. They've got iOS and Android apps, study tools, lesson audio, study books that you can download and use offline, practice exams and quizzes, and those labs I mentioned that will spin them up on demand. If you ever get stuck, they got a human being to help you along the way. With 70 new courses, challenges, and learning activities, it's never been a better time to try out Linux Academy with a seven-day free trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. 20 new courses, 50 new cloud assessments, hands-on learning activities, and new challenges are all coming this month to Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. So let's talk about our workflow. This is a topic that uh, we keep revisiting every single time we think we're done. And then it keeps coming back. And it won't, it just, 
it just is not getting fixed. And it's getting very frustrating for me, as you can probably tell. Uh, since uh, the last time we talked about this, see, the last time we really talked about this is when the rumors were going around that Apple, Apple might ship uh, ARM processors in the Macs. Now we've gotten new news that uh, the Mac Pro is going to be delayed until 2019 that they've hired a pro workflow team to uh, pretend to do work so that way Apple can analyze how they work. And they brought down a TechCrunch's Panzerino to do a one-on-one -on -one interview to kind of just get an update on where things are at. And um, it looks like there's not much news for the Mac Pro other than it's going to be later and we're still at the drawing board. But this pro team that they've hired, which is... Um, a group of producers and editors and content creators that are shooting real-world projects at Apple and then trying to edit them on Apple gear with developers sitting over their shoulders going, oh, what do you think about when that happens? How do you feel when that happens? How can we do this better? And trying to find frustration points to influence the design of the Mac Pro. In other words, Mike, uh, your computer woes aren't solved. You're going to continue to have to wait and see. Oh, we did get news that they are absolutely definitely working on a new monitor. So that's going to be coming as well. Um, Happy right now. And so, I, and, you know, this totally comes out right after the ARMS news. And there's no way this thing's, this thing's going to be Intel. It's supposed to ship in 2019. So I think we can just put the ARM discussion aside and just focus on this part. Yeah. So, you know what this tells me, Chris? The, and it's interesting because I've listened to a lot of takes on this. And my response was completely different. Mm, okay. Uh, mine was the Mac Pro is not for me. I I would I would perhaps too boldly say this wasn't a machine for you with the price tag. If the iMac Pro starting at five thousand dollars, this thing's probably starting at seven or eight thousand dollars, possibly. I think um, my take on it was also a little bit different than the other takes. My take on it was, holy shit, Apple really doesn't know how to build a computer anymore. Like, everybody's always talked about when Steve Jobs died, you know, Apple lost their way. I think it's more like the recent talent drain they've had lower in the ranks that has gotten some coverage. There's been some well-known ones, like uh, Mr. Skewamorphic, uh, when he left, Scott Forstall. That was, I think, a, one of their massive technical assets that truly understood the hardware and the operating system. He was gone, and he was a power user. And I think over the years, they've had power users leaving Apple. And I don't think, I mean, I just don't think there's a really super strong computer enthusiast in the company that's in a position to influence product design. Now, come on. You don't need to hire these million-dollar-a-year uh, editors and producers to find out that you just need to create another version of the Mac Pro Tower. Uh, I think they don't know. Like, they, the fact that they didn't see... How where, could they not know, though, right? Like, there are people who are obviously are, tech enthusiasts. It's a, no, I think it's a group of out-of-touch old white men that are running it. Look at, the, look at the people who come out on stage. I don't know, dude. Phil think, Schiller, see, Tim Cook... Uh, they're, they're, they're all... Yeah, but if they're old white guys, if that's going to be the thing we use, they're from... They're, they're us or older, right? Yeah. I mean, you're slightly older than me, but, like, they're our rough generation. So their idea of a computer should be very similar to what... I mean, But they're, but they're so I, out of touch. They're, they've, they've been running Apple. They probably haven't... They haven't probably gone to the Dell website and looked at how you configure a Dell or anything like that in, in, in years. I guess I'm not trying to say it's because they're old white guys. I'm saying it's because they are people that have just gotten out of touch over the years by being Apple executives running the company and not looking at right, PCs. No. I don't think you're making like some weird social like issue here. But 
first of all, like if you're a business like Apple, the idea that you're not going to look at your main competitors seems crazy. Of course, they probably go very regularly to Dell.com and play with the configurator and see what Dell oh, yeah. is offering. Oh, yeah. Right? No, I think it's. Like, I think the issue is the leadership, though, doesn't understand why you might want more GPU power over CPU power. I don't think they grok the concepts. And that's how we got the trash see, can. It's funny. I see completely differently. I don't think they grok the concept of why upgrading RAM at the user level is important. Right. Um, I, I when think do you what suppose I thought, the last time Craig Federici or Tim Cook has up or Phil Schiller has upgraded the RAM in a laptop? Maybe never. Maybe 10 years. Probably never. See, they, they just they don't they don't live that world. They don't understand it. They they really I think they really for a long time thought the iPad was going to do it for a lot of people. And so well, I think they did, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's obvious when they had the original Mac Pro Summit that they were shocked that people didn't think the iMac Pro was the right answer. Right. Like, which in reality, it probably is for a lot of people. Right. But I don't know, man. This whole thing of them being out of touch feels kind of like. You know, there's nothing stopping them from making the device you and I want. Like, let, let's just have a little bit of self-awareness here. Are we just out of touch, right? No, no. I mean, I think no. it's pretty clear okay. in, the, in the product. They've been the failure of the trash can and uh, like uh, the, the, the inability for them to recognize still the limitations of the iMac Pro. The iMac Pro is being lauded right now in this conversation as it's great. It's going to be more than what most people need. But in reality, the iMac Pro still suffers from thermal limiting. There is not currently a Mac in production that does not suffer from thermal throttling when you push it. That is embarrassing. None of them, none of them are sufficiently cooled because of design compromises. Um, and I, that, you know, when I'm pushing my MacBook trying to encode a video and I know that the CPU is being downclocked so that way it doesn't reach thermal thresholds, it's, it's like, what did I pay all this money for? That's embarrassing. And they just don't get these concepts. They don't understand why USB-C isn't enough. Why, why, even though only some people have an SD card reader need that they should put it on every model, like they just haven't lived that. And so they think the solution is to bring these pro people in. And, and hire these yes men to tell them what they should be building. But that... Well, it is interesting the people they brought in, right? They Like, they haven't brought in people who are going to be critical, which I get it. You don't want to pay people to insult you. <laughs> but, you know, like hiring a, a Chris Fisher would have been an interesting look at it, right? Saying, you know what, guys? I'm an IT admin and I'm a video podcast producer and I have a budget, so I would like a month. Like, because I think you and I effectively want the same thing, but you would lean on GPU, and I would like to buy like the cheapest model, but be able to upgrade it for five years, right? Like, yeah, I think if I could, if I could have, if 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 uh, Steve and Johnny came to me, or if I'm if uh, Tim and Johnny came to me and said, "What do you want?" I would say, "Take the Mac Pro cheese grater tower." And sell it at a at a base of the cheapest you can sell it. One CPU, sixteen gigs of RAM, one SSD drive, um, sure. and then let me let me add to it later. Yeah, six months. I'll right. throw four drives in, and then you know, in 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 six months after that, I'll throw. Okay, but I have that on my desk here. Yeah. Well, it's it's a Dell Optiplex seventy fifty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it possible that you, me, and like John Syracuse and everybody bitching about Apple's like? "Quote unquote abandonment of Mac Pros is just wrong. Well, not not wrong in like that we're wrong technically, but wrong in that we should be using Windows. 
Well, right. Apple's not making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Apple's just choosing not to serve you. So that's my option. So there's just a couple of specifically Adobe applications. Ironically, Photoshop isn't really one of them um, that I need a platform to run. And they're the latest Creative Cloud versions. I'm not going to run like version seven of Photoshop, for example. Um, and so if I have to run that, I prefer to run it on a Mac than run it on a on Windows because my... You guys know my history. I'm just not a. I'm not a huge fan of using Windows as my work OS and daily driver. I I have some Windows systems, and it's fine for what I use it for. And I don't care if other people use it, but it's just not what I want to use. And so, and right. it's not what I want to have in production 24/7 in my studio either. Well, because it'll restart five times. Oh, jeez. So my options right now are Windows or Mac, and I just it, it it's, it's the it's the, it goes back to that tool thing. Like these are the tools of my trade, and those are the those are the two platforms they run on. I find that infuriating. So I'm constantly spending a lot of my time and energy trying to come up with alternatives on Linux constantly. I'm always searching for Linux alternatives. I'm always trying out different projects under Linux. And I mean, I probably burn four or five hours a week. And it's just, I'm getting really worn out and I'm getting to the, I'm starting to lose the faith that I'm ever going to find a solution. So now I just need Apple to figure their shit out because I don't want to use Windows and I'm kind of getting to the end of my rope of trying to re, re-engineer everything on Linux every every week. So Right, but that's insane. So you're, you're basically going to like spin your wheels and like just wait for Apple to solve this problem for you. Well, what if they decide not to, right? I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Well, I think even if they not, even if they build a good Mac Pro, I'm not going to be able to afford it. So I think I have to move on right. anyways. Right, exactly. Like if the iMac Pro starts at 5 grand, you know the Mac Pro is going to be starting at what, 8. Like there and also it's not going to be what you and I want. It is not going to be a black or gray or whatever color tower that you can slot in parts. It might be like several different takes on the Mac Mini for all we know. You know, <laughs> right? It could just be. I, I, I'm almost thinking that's what it is. It's just like a super beefed up. Like, I can't remember the name, but what is that Nvidia machine that recently came out? Mm, you're not thinking of the. Uh, you're not thinking of the Intel NUC, are you? You're thinking of the Intel. Not the NUC, NUC the one after it. There, maybe it isn't. It's a, is it, it's like it's a NUC. new like a skull something NUC that is. Yeah, it's something dumb Intel like that, latest but... Intel i7 with an AMD dedicated ish. Yes. GPU. Yep. Yep. That's that thing's that NUC is it's funny you say that. That is exactly what my thought process is. If I could move my remaining workflow items over to Linux, um, then I that would be my go to workstation. It's small, it's interchangeable, it's quiet, it's relatively low cost, it's expandable, it has Thunderbolt. Um, it's everything the Mac Mini should be, but I would use it to run Linux. The issue is even on Linux. To do my job, the, the, all the tools I need are still commercial. They're still proprietary. So I'm not fully... Um, right, you're not a freedom beard. Yeah, well, I'm still not even getting... I'm, I'm still, I still can get drug around by the nose horn a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can still kind of... Right. So, uh, and part of, me, part of me feels like maybe Apple has gotten the, um, the smell of uh, fear that they're losing their pro market. And so they're maybe over the next few years... We're gonna see well, some 2019, right? They said 2019. Yeah, but but this Pro team isn't just influencing the Mac Pro. It's it's gonna go into the, how the MacBook Pro works. And I think the Pro moniker. I think that's. I think you're gonna start seeing. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a mea culpa of some kind on the MacBook Pro, like an SD card reader or a totally revamped keyboard or something like that that they say is influenced by the Pro team. Well, if there was a keyboard, that would be definitely something worth talking about. The I, issue, mean, I think maybe the bigger meta issue here, though, is to even take it away from Apple and say the meta issue is I have a tool that I depend on, several tools, and the vendor of that platform seems like they've completely f- stopped. Yes. They've lost how to serve me. They don't know yes. how to do it. 
Right. So you went to a bar and the bartender doesn't care to serve you. Yeah. Right? They don't carry like, this beer. This is anymore. the problem. Right. They, they just said, you know what, Mike? Or, you know, Chris, we only carry, you know, Peruvian yeah. amber yeah. ale. We don't carry what you want. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> no, I, don't, I made something up. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah the, the Das Uber IPA, right? Like, th- this is how I feel. And I've been a pretty, like, I have bought many Apple machines, both for my businesses and for myself. And I don't know, every time I like deal with them, I feel like I'm not their target customer. They're happy to take my money because they're a business. But they just don't make like every machine I buy from them is is very expensive and is like deeply compromised. Whether it's the MacBook Pro's keyboard, which is, in my opinion, basically unusable. Um, and by the way, another great bug I found in my three thousand dollar MacBook Pro: HDMI doesn't work. What? Very well. It's unreliable. You plug it in. You have to unplug it, replug it. No, no, Mac's supposed to, to just it. work, dude. You're fine. You're fine. You probably it just doesn't plug work. It. No, you're and good. then I looked it up, and it's like, yeah, it's because of the interchange between USB-C. I have the Apple official Belkin adapter. Yeah. That costs $70. Yeah, that that, that, that And it's is. just like a bug in the in the OS mm-hmm. for for HDMI. Right? There's a bug with HDMI. Well, I mean, on the flip side on Linux, you just have nobody's even bothered to write that support on yet. Nothing's up the resident looks like shit on my forehead. And on Windows, it's just going to be fixed in the next driver release. We swear, we promise. Just update next, it'll be fixed. We swear, we promise and it never gets fixed. You know, I'm going to push back on that though. So running my Dell on Windows 10, which I've been doing for, uh, I'm going to be doing quite a lot, actually. Everything just works. I can't believe I'm saying that about Windows, but. What, dude? No. It just works. Yeah, it does. It. I have had, I have more day-to-day problems now running my MacBook Pro, which I am trying to do in clamshell mode over HDMI, which people say, oh, well, you should get a DPI, uh, yeah, D, what is it, DPI? Um, DVI, you should get a mini DVI adapter to Thunderbolt, and you should buy the special licensed one. And uh, but like, I'm not buying 20 adapters. Like, <laughs> like I paid seventy dollars for an HDMI adapter. I think it ought to work. Um, I'm sorry, but like, it, so this is the error case. If the laptop goes into suspension or falls asleep because I like got up to take a phone call and it uh, resumes, you know, wakes up it sometimes won't notice the HDMI adapter. Hmm. Then you have to restart the machine, plug it in, unplug it to get it to pick up the HDMI. I and have, sometimes it doesn't work. I have hit a bug on my editing MacBook where uh, I'll be working on a project, I'll close the lid, I'll, I'll arrive at the studio, I plug in my single Thunderbolt 3 cable, which provides power, sure. video, networking, etc., USB. I plug that in, open the lid up, and the screen, I have a mouse cursor, but both screens are red, like, Bright, 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 bright red. Oh, shit. And I, the only thing I can do is power off the MacBook and power it back on. <laughs> well, and, and all these compromises are in the name of what? Thinness? Yeah. Right? Like, well, and innovation. And, you know, like the OS is stagnated in, in terms of stability. They, you know, and supposedly, but again, they're turning around on all of that. It, it, it really, the thing is, it's like I have weird ass issues on Linux sometimes too. You know, like, and, and oh, I do too. My Galago Pro does strange semi. Yeah. military plane lifting off in my lap things all the time. So I would be willing to bet if you stuck around on Windows 10 for six months, issues will start to crop up. Because in my experience in all these systems, the first couple of weeks tend to be like the golden weeks. Like you just, right. you have, not only is it something fresh and new, so that's kind of nice, but then you don't have like the cruft and all this crap that just eventually starts causing problems. I, I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. All right, so, so can I take a swing here? Go for it. 
would you agree with the statement that OS stability and quality has just gone down over the years? Yeah, I was just saying that yesterday, actually. I was just having kind of an off-the-air conversation with Joe about how uh, it totally feels like it's gone downhill. Like, uh, I thought by now all of these little weird things would be worked out. Mm. I thought by now, like, we would have, like, fought the good fight and we would have figured this stuff out. But we still have video issues. So... What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think... You know what? I I think it's kind of a shit show, to be honest. I think Apple doesn't know what they're doing. I think you might be right. They may do a mea culpa and change their mind. I think they really wanted to converge macOS and, and iOS. And that's maybe becoming hard for them, right? Yeah, or they're about to do it. They're hitting I think reset. Windows Windows has the opposite problem, where they're so obsessed with legacy that they yep. can't like, yep, you know, high DPI up some of the control panel stuff. Yep, Linux is doing too many things at once to really get anything done, right? Which is a problem for well, and it's got you got to figure it must have a super high churn rate compared to other long term operating system projects because you've got people that are you know contributing while they work at Intel for a few years and then they go over to Samsung and right. they, and then you have people whose passions burn out. I think you're right to summarize it. I would say Mac OS is suffering from a lack of attention and focus from Apple and proper prioritization, and so that platform has suffered. Windows suffers from a long legacy of technical debt and a super deep. Uh, spaghetti code infrastructure and honestly you know just team bureaucracy where different things get prioritized different ways and different things are broken out with different levels of funding that's windows and on linux i think what you have is a bunch of shallow developers who don't go super deep on a lot of stuff they a lot of them want to work on uh, big big core foundational problems but those cause burnout and they don't solve the last 10 percent of user polish problems that we constantly run into and so each platform has its own particular toxic eroding of its um what should be better stability should be better performance should be more reliable but these toxic natures to all of them have i think sort of prevented that and i and i do feel like long 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 term hopefully open source would be better because it can just slowly and slowly and slowly iterate uh with with no need to ever generate revenue so in theory, that would be best long term, but we so often reset and we have so much apparent development churn. I'm not sure. If we'll I, mean, I just want to say like Wayland, right? Like yeah. that entire nightmare. Yeah, it's been basically in the works for 10 years and it's, you know, just now shipping is default on a couple of distros uh, and Ubuntu is actually rolling it back for their 1804 release. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> What really, what what we really want at the end of the day is we want a nice system that is almost got to be top of the line. You might have to pay premium, and it just comes and it works. Like you've you've tried to now order non Macs and other systems, even Dell systems, and they've completely blown up in your face. Like we're not there yet either. So the hardware side of this is a bit of a shit show too, because the whole hardware industry has been obsessed with mobile now for eight years, nine years. Well, the whole hardware side is nobody's making money. Yeah, right. that that's too. Yeah, just a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you would think that there is a space for a vendor to come in and say, "We have good machines, with high quality components, and a stable operating system for you to just get your work done." Right? It's just not the case, though. Like you're right. Windows after a long, after a couple months, 
generally becomes a freaking nightmare, right? Running Windows after, you know, six months is really not fun. Yeah, bit rot tends to set in and things, you know, just... Right. And you, what you really start to notice with Windows is like how many different installers are there? You know, there's so many different install wizards and some of them still want to install a, a, a system tray app to like check for updates to the installer. Like that's still a thing on Windows, this mismatch of installation methods and, and all of it. It's just there's a real legacy there that uh, it eventually does catch up to you. Uh, I just I don't know. I... That's why I've been trying to make the Plasma desktop work, be honest, be, to be honest with you, because being able to mix and match my OS, my desktop environment, and my hardware seems to be the only long-term solution. But it, like I said, I spend a lot of time trying to make that work, and it's still not successful. But that's why I keep spending time every week at least taking a crack at a segment or at a show. Like Right now, I'm trying to learn uh, this editor called Reaper, which they don't even want to admit is available for Linux. They make it available for the Mac and for Windows, and they make a Linux build. But you got to go through like this double duck blind uh, this system to get a download link so you can try out a beta version of their editor for Linux. And it's like, well, how long is this going to stick around? And can I even count on that? So right. I feel like in a lot of ways, 2018, we've talked a lot around this issue and about this issue, but it's it's getting worse. And it's been getting worse since about 2015, I feel like, 2014. It's just started getting shittier and shittier. And and uh, maybe with this pro work group and this 2019 Mac Pro announcement, you're starting to see Apple turn it around because I'll give them this. I'd rather they delay it and get it right than screw it up and do another trash can, you know, so... See, this is my problem, though. I, I don't think the issue is like they don't know how to do it. I think it's just like philosophically not something they want to do. Is anything they've done before? Basically, since they've done a tower, they'll never do it again because they've already done it. Well, it's more that like they see that as a commodity business, right? Where like if you can slot in parts off the shelf that, you know, they're not a commodity. They're more of a luxury. They're more of a brand. Hmm. Um, and it's not a thing they want to compete in. But like I, I'm, I'm tired of waiting, right? Like that's why I'm, you know, looking so closely at Pop OS. I'm looking at Windows 10 because I just need an OS to like do its job, be able to be put on any hardware, and get out of my way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think this particular problem is beginning to change. I think it's going to start getting a lot better on the Mac side. I really do. I don't know if it's going to be right for me because I, the hardware just will be out of my league. But, uh, you know, with Mac OS 10.13.4, they now have official eGPU support for external AMD GPU. So you can hook up a brand new AMD GPU to a MacBook Pro. Uh, that's a huge deal for professionals. The fact that the iMac Pro does at least address a lot of compute needs, I might not want to use it and I might be a little hurt that it has a still has thermal throttling, but it's overall a very fast machine and it seems to be a good value for $5,000 when you include the 5K screen. And so that's a good sign. And so this Mac Pro, you know, it's a ways off, but they may bite, they may be in the right direction now. I mean, eGPU, Pro Workgroup team, even though I think that's a little weak sauce, uh, iMac Pro and now delaying the Mac Pro until they can get it right all kind of indicate that they're starting to take this seriously again. Just might be too little too late. Not to even be not to even be cliche or quaint about it, but I think it's just too little too late. And I think that's just the reality of it is there's going to be other other work other categories of machines now that at different price points and maybe you know what maybe i'm wrong maybe in maybe in a few weeks if you're still on windows 10 you'll think it's great and then maybe this won't be an issue for you anymore but i doubt it shall see
the coder radio. Yeah. It's like we're stuck in a coder radio. Did you ever see that episode of TNG where they just kept getting in a loop over and over again because they 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 were crashing into Fraser's ship and then they just kept right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. Now this is what's happening to us here. So uh, really quickly before we leave, I'm going to point you to an article that you'll find in the show notes at coder.show/slash/305. And I think this is really kind of interesting compared to what we, uh, we keeping in mind what we talked about last week. And it's an article that is kind of legitimate. It's the science of breaking out of your comfort zone. Now, I read through this whole thing and I found a few areas in here that I think are particularly good. And if you're stuck on an idea or a project right now, this might be exactly what you need. This is something I have found helps me a lot. And, you know, if, you've, if, you're, if you're reeling from a recent failure or a setback and you need to get new, fresh perspective, I really encourage that you go read The Science of Breaking Out of Your Comfort Zone. You know, it, it really, if you think about it... <clears throat> Our brains are engineered to seek out comfort zones because it minimizes stress. There's patterns and routines that you can recognize. It's, it's, it gives you a state of mental security, but it also can kind of kill new ideas. It prevents you from seeing the big picture. So the idea of this article is to give you a few tools to potentially break out so you can maybe be more productive. Uh, you'll have potentially an easier time dealing with new and unexpected changes. I know it all sounds really hippie and, and foo-foo-y, but uh, it works. And uh, I thought it was sort of a nice sort of conclusion to what we talked about last week. And it is a life hacker article, but uh, I think you sh- I think you would find it useful. So take a look. We'll have that over at the show notes. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to talk about this week before we get the snot out of oh, here? Sounds good. Follow me at Dumanuko on Twitter. Boom! At Dumanuko on Twitter. You can follow the whole dang network at Jupiter Signal. You can follow me. I'm at Chris LAS. And like I said earlier, we have that new show, show website, which means we also have a new show feed so you can go to coder.show slash rss to get that new feed coder.show slash rss or if you just want easy links coder.show slash subscribe we also have the subreddit you can always participate in that and we'd love to get your emails coder.show slash contact it's a lot of urls i'm throwing at your face but i believe in you i have faith that you can remember them or at least remember one of them you can also join us live we tend to do this show on mondays and that URL is jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the time. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. I hope you join us right back here. We do this show every single week. And you can uh, count on at least more insightful and deep commentary from Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs>